I'm now going to invite Emily to join me and she's going to be reading through tonight's passage. Uh, so please do turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And Emily's going to be reading from verse 14 to 28. Good evening, everyone. So from verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken to the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord before, always before me, because he has sat at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Thank you so much, Emily. So as we invite Josh to join us. Uh, let's just pray for him as he comes. I'm sure he won't mind another prayer. Um, so let's just pray together, shall we? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time together and we thank you so much for Josh and for who he is. We thank you for all of the work that he has put in for this week. But more than that, we thank you that you have been speaking to him in this time and for his faithfulness as he's noted down what you have to say and we look forward now to hearing from you through the words that he's prepared please uh, inspire us keep us alert and our minds and our hearts supple and ready to receive what you have for us and give us the courage to apply it afterwards now uh, we ask this in jesus name amen thanks josh amen thank you chris thanks emily hi everybody good evening well, there's a day coming that our passage says that 
It's going to be a great day, a glorious day, it calls it. And, and you see that right in our very passage. If you look at the Bible just now in verse 20, it says, the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And then it's a day that, that I am longing for. I don't know about you. When, when Jesus returns in, in all his power, do, do you long for that day when, when things that it describes as great and glorious will, will finally come about, where all our longings in this world will be realized, you know, all the groanings of creation, all that we hope for, all that is good and right will be finally and fully realized. And it will be great in every sense of the word. It will also be glorious because there's a day coming, it says, when, when you and I, if we've not already been promoted to glory, well, we will see our majestic king face to face. The Lord Jesus Christ, our saviour, our Messiah, the bridegroom, the brother, friend, he will return and make all things new. He will give you and me new creation bodies and he will live with us forever. And we will enjoy his presence, his protection, his perfect peace, his provision, his power, his perfection forever and ever. The great and glorious day of the Lord. I long for it. And the prophets all through scripture did too. Joel features in our reading tonight. He was a prophet who wrote these words that Peter quoted at this Pentecost festival. People have been longing for this great day ever since Adam and Eve were first cast out of God's presence and were banished from the Garden of Eden. Ever since, every human who's ever lived longs for things to be made right again. But things need to happen first before he comes, before that great day. And, and I'd like to try outline some of those tonight that we see in our passage. You see, we are living in the last days. It says that in verse 17 of our passage. We are in the last days, and, and there are four things that our passage suggests that will mark these days that we're living in before the great and glorious day comes. And so the four things that I see here, firstly, it says that the Spirit will be poured out. You see that verse 17 and 18, it says it again, poured out. And, and the picture is like a flood, you know, like, like a downpour of rain, of a spiritual activity of the Holy Spirit himself coming. And it's, it's a picture of sort of like what happens about 3.15 every weekday when I have to do the school run for the, picking out the kids. You know, it's fine all day. And then just when you're standing in the playground waiting for the kids to come out, it pours down. It seems to happen almost every time I do it. And everyone is soaked as the heavens open up. And that's sort of the picture, I think, that, that is described here in these verses. It's a, it's a downpour like, like you've never seen before, a deluge of, of the Spirit's presence and power in his people. Now, the Spirit, he's always been at work. You know, he, the Spirit is involved in, in every believer's life. The Spirit draws one to faith in God. And he's done that all through time in the Old Testament and in the New. You see, every believer in Christ. Every believer before Christ, just as we do, need a work of the Spirit in their life to, to regenerate their, their dead heart and to bring them to faith in God. You see, there's no other way that any person can be right with God but by faith 
which is a gift of God administered by the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit has always been involved in the life of every saint, both under the old covenant and in the new. But the Spirit, it seemed to be, he seemed to be limited, perhaps, in his application to Old Testament believers. And that is, well, after regeneration, it, it seemed that there weren't many who, who were equipped with the sort of spiritual gifts, with the empowering for works of service like we see in the church today. There are a few that are listed. We see kings and prophets and priests, maybe craftsmen, building the tabernacle and so on. But by and large, the Old Testament doesn't describe the sort of filling of the spirit for, for service that we see in the church today. But Acts 2 it marks a change in history. It marks a pouring out, like the heavens have been opened and, and the floodgates released. And, and now, since this day when Peter is preaching, every believer can be filled with the Spirit. And that's the second point that I see in our passage tonight, that the Spirit is for all people. That is all kinds of people, whether son or daughter, whether young or old, whether slave or free, God says that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And so you and I, now if you have repented and you've been baptized into the name of Jesus, no matter who you are, whatever your background or status, however able or disabled you may feel you are, God will pour out his spirit on all people. And, and dear Christian, that includes you. God has equipped you to be a vital member of his church, of his body, his kingdom, as it grows around the world. But what does the Spirit actually do? Once it's been poured out on all people, but what else does our passage say? Well, Joel speaks of the sons and daughters prophesying. It says, your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even my servants, it says, will prophesy. Now, to prophesy, well, it means different things in different contexts. In one sense, it, it is to declare the very words of God, the authoritative speaking of new revelation from God. And we see that in Scripture. That's what brought about Scripture. And this sort of prophecy ended when the canon of Scripture was complete. We don't have prophets in, in that sense anymore who, who are bringing new words, the very words of God to the world, or new revelation. And yet it seems that there is another sense of prophecy that the New Testament talks about. The Apostle Paul, he, he will write in 1 Corinthians that we should follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy, he says. And so there's a place, it seems, for prophecy today in the church, but, but what is it? Well, there are differing views, and some say it may be similar to, to preaching, to merely speaking about God. But I, I find that a bit weak, and I don't think it does justice to, to the special mentions that prophecy does seem to be given by the apostles in Scripture. And instead, I, I tend to agree with folk like Wayne Grudem and John Piper, who suggest that this last day's prophecy could be described as a sort of a spontaneous spirit-prompted utterance, but it doesn't necessarily carry or doesn't carry divine authority. A spontaneous 
spirit-prompted utterance without divine authority. Now, now, I know many might struggle with that idea. You know, how can something be prompted by the spirit, who is God himself, and yet not be authoritative, or like the prophets of the Old Testament? We, many maybe don't have the sort of categories to, to think about these things. And, and yet that picture, I would argue, is, is what scripture seems to describe taking place within the church in these last days. Now, it's mentioned again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20. And there we're told not to treat prophecies with contempt, but to test them and to hold on to what is good. Now, this is interesting because we don't test scripture or the, the words of an Old Testament prophet when he spoke. We obey them. And there are consequences if, if we don't do that. And so these last days prophecies, they're not like the authority of scripture. We need to weigh them, it says. We need to test them. And so it seems to have this sort of new category in this day of the, and age of the church. And as the Spirit is poured out on all kinds of people, they will prophesy. They will dream dreams. They will have visions. And, and we test these words as the church. Are they true? Are they in line with Scripture? It says the same in, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29. That as the church is gathered together, it says two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Now, what this is, is a, a picture, I, I think, of, of the priesthood of all believers. See, in this church age, in these last days that we are living, every believer in Christ is able to and is called to minister to one another. It's a great picture where the Lord brings all of us together from different parts of the world, different walks of life, and he unites us in Christ to be one body with, with him as our head. We speak God's word to one another. We share one another's burdens. We pray together. We weep together. We laugh together. We support and provide for those in need, and, and we can prophesy and share dreams and, and things that the Spirit reveals to us, words of encouragement that are always, of course, weighed by the unchanging Word of God, because there is only one final authority for how we are to live life in this age, and that is through the words of Scripture. But it seems that this prophecy is one of the gifts of the Spirit that is given to the church to build up and encourage one another, and then Peter declares that as the Spirit is poured out, this is what we will see in the church. And we were given the title tonight for uh, this talk as Jesus's victory speech, which is a bit unusual. But you think if Jesus, if he hadn't left to be with his father, we're told that his spirit wouldn't have been poured out on the church in the way that it has. You see, if Jesus was still here walking among us, there would have just been one man filled with the spirit to serve and minister to the world, which is a huge task. Now, I'm not suggesting that God is limited and that it couldn't happen that way, but he's chosen, he's planned to use us, the people of his church, to do his work in building the church in these last days. And so Jesus's victory is that in his returning to glory, his spirit has been poured out on the church so that every believer can serve in the same power that filled Christ as he 
walked the earth. And this is part of his victory. It's, it's a multiplication of the work. And we long to see this work grow and grow among us. So this is what the Lord has done in pouring out his spirit. He's poured out on all people so that they are empowered to, to prophesy and to preach and to proclaim the good news. But the fourth point that I want to make is that these days will also be mixed with pain. You see, yes, there will be this powerful witness to the world through the power of the Spirit. But these last days, along with all the other P words here, will have pain and suffering and hardship. And so in verse 19 of our passage, it says that I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. So that we're not disillusioned into thinking that the age of the church will be one of constant revival and protection from all evil, we're, we're reminded that actually we will also live in days of darkness, of blood and fire, of billows of smoke. And this is true, isn't We find this all around us, don't we? <clears throat> I, I have sad stories of friends, people who have, who have come through the youth group here even at, at Oak Hall and, and have tasted of, of the goodness of God. Now they've heard the wonderful message of Jesus and even professed faith and been baptized. And yet when trouble or hardship came, they wondered why, why didn't God protect them? And why am I suffering? I thought I was meant to be a Christian. Isn't it meant to be all happiness and, and blessing and perfect peace? No. We must understand that these last days, they are mixed. The spirit is at work. He's equipping us to do his will on earth. But he won't always keep us from pain or suffering. There will be global pandemics that shake us out of our ease and comfort, reminding us of the, of the fragility of life. That every breath that we have is, is a gift from God. And none of us knows how long we have left before we breathe our last. And so as a church, let's make the most of the time that we've been given. We have been filled with the Spirit in a way that the Old Testament saints would have loved to have known. Because Jesus has won a great victory through his death on the cross that we've just remembered. And it's a message that, that every person in our town, in England, in the whole world, needs to hear. So let's pray. Let's go on praying for opportunities to share it. Now, there's a, there's a great outline in our passage tonight that helps us have a way that we can share this message. See, Peter, as he's speaking here to this crowd on Pentecost, he's preaching to a crowd of thousands. And at the end of it, this crowd will be cut to the heart. The Spirit of God will move them to respond in, in faith. And by the end of the day, Jesus' followers will have grown from 120 to over 3,000 people in this one day. And the church as we know it is born.
Now, today there are there are about two billion people in the world who, who claim to follow Jesus. Two billion from that small group of 120 speaking on that Pentecost. You see, the church is still growing. The spirit is still at work among us. And we here at Oak Hall, we are praying that, that we will see that sort of growth in our town and our lives here among us. But what does Peter go on to say in this message? What is it that leads to, to such a revival? Well, it's all a work of God. It's the act of the spirit. But there is a way that he speaks that I think we can learn from. You see, I think it's all about seeing who Jesus really is. It's also about seeing who we really are. And then it's about seeing what God has done through Jesus. And, and once you hear that, you're left with a decision to make. And this is a, a classic, simple way of sharing the good news with anyone. And there's a little wee rhyme that might help you remember these five simple points in sharing the good news. Except like this, God, man, God, what if I do, what if I don't? Now, I came across this several years ago, and, and it's a way of remembering what's important when you have the opportunity to speak with someone about your faith. God, man, God, what if I do, what if I don't? And it always starts with God. Who is God? Well, in this case, the Son of God, Jesus. And in verse 22, this is what Peter says. He uses this very outline. He says, Jesus was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. You see what Peter's doing here? He's, he's showing them who Jesus is, who is God. This crowd gathered before him. They had no doubt seen or, or heard about the many miracles that Jesus had done over the past few years. And so Peter says, well, put two and two together. Who else can walk on water? Who else can raise the dead? Who can multiply food and heal every sickness? This is supernatural. This is an act of God. And it confirms who Jesus is. It confirms what he says about himself, that he is the only way to the Father. He is the great Son of Man, who will be crowned with all authority as the King of the universe. So you start when you have an opportunity. You start with God. Who is he? But then... Well, what about man? What about you and me? Well, Peter doesn't mince his words here. He says in verse 23, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. This is who you are. This is who I am. This is who the crowd was that stood before Peter, in rapture, listening to him speak. You see, we are the reason that Jesus died on the cross. But you might say, well, well I didn't nail Jesus to the cross. Oh, well, neither did I. And neither did any of those standing there in this crowd, no doubt. But many of them, I'm sure, saw Jesus's wretched body hanging on that tree just outside the city where they were standing at that very moment. And you can imagine some of them, they're looking over their shoulder uh, past the temple walls with flashbacks to Golgotha, that horrid place where criminals were executed. On that Passover, only 50 days earlier, when the sky went black 
when the earth shook, where this one that they now realize who truly was the son of God hung helplessly, pathetically, like a common criminal on a stake of wood. They, they could have been among the crowds that jeered and mocked him as he hung there with his dying breaths on that first Good Friday. And so they may not have nailed him to the cross, but they helped put him to death, just like you and I did. See, our rebellious hearts, our wicked nature, our selfish, God-defined, fist-shaking, self-righteous, sin-stained lives, that is what sent Jesus to the cross. And that is who we are. Every man, woman, and child to feel the weight of your sin. God, man, God again. And this is what any of us can share when we have the opportunity. We're just using this method that Peter does here in, this, in his speech. So look at verse 24. It says, but God raised him from the dead. What glorious words. On that first Easter Sunday, God freed Jesus from the agony of death because it was impossible, it says, for death to keep its hold on him. Now, why was it impossible? Well, because he can't kill God. God's not dead. God is alive. He's been raised from the dead, brought back to new life. And Peter takes us back to Psalm 16. And the prophetic words of, of King David. And there's a great to use scripture when you're sharing the good news with someone. And so he goes to Psalm 16 and, and in verse 27, he quotes, You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your holy one see decay. You see, this is God defeating our greatest enemy, death itself. We've all seen much more of death than we would have expected this last year. But the hope of these words say that I will not be shaken. My heart is glad. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Because this is what God has done. Isn't Easter great? Death has been beaten. The pain and the suffering of this world has been overcome. And, and there is a way for you and me to be made right with your maker. God offers forgiveness of sin through the death and resurrection of his son. So how can you share this with someone you know this week? God, man, God. What if I do? What if I don't? Just five points. And, and I must always end with some sort of a response. I don't want to jump into next week's passage too much, but we need to see the end of the speech because Peter gives uh, an opportunity to respond. He calls you to make a decision. Verse 38, he says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. That is, you turn away from your old way of life. You submit to the lordship of God and, and every aspect of your being. And th this is part of the picture of baptism. You die to your old self and you are immersed in the new life in Christ. And if you repent and are baptized, then your sins are forgiven. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God, man, God. What if I do just that, salvation? What if I don't? If you do not repent, well, then you are still capable, culpable for your own sin. 
and that great and glorious day that is still to come, it will not be great or glorious for you. It will be fearful. It will be distressing in the most unimaginable way. And so this message, it hasn't changed. The crowd in front of Peter on that day, they were cut to the heart as they heard Peter preach. And I long that that each one of us would again be moved to respond rightly to the Lord Jesus. You see, I long for this town that we live in to, to hear and know and believe the great message of Easter. And so I hope this little outline maybe of some help in sharing the good news about Jesus. It, it's, it's what Peter did. And I find it such a simple tool that leads people into making a response in some way. God, man, God. What if I do? What if I don't? Maybe try it sometime when you next have the opportunity to chat with a friend. Because this is what every Christian has been equipped to do. It's what the church, it's what we've been empowered for. The spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus himself has been poured out on all people so that we may prophesy and proclaim the good news to one another, to give us hope, to free us from the pain of suffering and death that also marks this age that we live in. So let's go on praying for opportunities to share this message. Maybe Peter's outline will help you as you do that. And if you haven't responded to this yourself, even here tonight, then what are you waiting for? Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me lead us in a prayer now, doing just that. Almighty God, as we see this vast crowd of people responding to the gospel with faith, it thrills our hearts to see your church growing. And Lord, we long to see that among us here today. And maybe it starts even right here and now for some among us who are listening. So Lord, I pray for each one of us here that we might truly repent turn from our sin. Lord, I am sorry that I have sinned against you, that I have rejected you as my king and I've tried to do life my own way. Please forgive me. I trust in the Lord Jesus and his death that saves me from my sin, that sets me free and gives me the hope of eternal life. Please fill me with your spirit that I might live wholeheartedly for you as my King and my Saviour. Fill me with your spirit tonight so that I might go out empowered with your spirit to do the works you have called me to do. Give me courage, give us all courage and boldness and opportunity to point people to you, our great risen Saviour. Because you are alive, we can pray in your name, knowing that God our Father hears every prayer we pray. So we pray in his name. Amen.